think about something because I used to have this really grand vision as a pastor. Now, I've never been a part of a church before. I've never pastored before. I don't come from pastoral family or Christian home. I'm a first-generation Christian and a first-generation believer. And so I often used to think as a guy that when I got saved, I started traveling, ministering, and speaking all over the nation, not because people uh, knew about me, but God began to supernaturally just open doors, and I began to speak in public schools, conventions, colleges, professional athletes from baseball to football to soccer to basketball, and then I would speak in prisons once a month, and everywhere I would go, the Lord would always spark in people new life. People would be saved and be delivered, and, and so what I didn't realize back then is I was carrying this revival fire. I was carrying it, and I didn't even know it because I didn't tagline it because I don't have a religious background, so I, I wasn't able to tagline it. This was before social media and the like the page and all that nonsense. But this was a time when God was cultivating in me what it means to, to really honor and reflect God. And when I became a pastor, when Jennifer and I, and we, we started pastoring the church, I began to have these grand visions of what I believed that God was wanting to do in the community, in our church. But then lately, as you get older, you get hopefully wiser and you get greater understanding. It begins to dawn on me before we can have an, a, a, a community revival and before we can have a nation revival or a country revival, we have to have an individual revival. So we can never give what we don't have. So really, putting the cart before the horse, declaring a citywide revival, or calling people to revival, is really a misstep. Because you can't call out something that not people are not willing to receive. So you think about the elder brother. The Bible tells us something interesting about him. Last Sunday, I talked about the younger. He's the prodigal. He's outliving wild. The Bible tells us that he spent all of his inheritance. He ends up feeding pigs. By Jewish law, you're not even supposed to touch a pig or eat the swine's flesh or be around him. He's eating with them. He's fighting over the things to eat, and he's living with them. And he came to himself, and he says, how many of my father's servants have bread enough to spare? I'm a son. I perish with hunger. He's no longer cocky. He's no longer calling his daddy a right-wing Bible reactionary. He says, man, I got to go back home. And the scriptures say when he came back home, he repented. He repented before his father, and his father received him totally, 100%. But now we have somebody else in the family. And I used to think to myself, like Jennifer said earlier, you know, when people criticize a work of God, when they criticize revival, it's usually unbelievers who do it. But then I started to realize, no. It's people who are in the family, but they're outside of the house. They're in the family of God, but they're outside of the house of God. That means they're outside of the blessings and miracles of God. How do we know that to be true? Because of the elder brother. So we know what a revival, we, we think about what revival is as we see different outpourings, different things. But what is the definition of the Bible? The Bible tells us something interesting about lives, but it really doesn't tell us about what it means to be revived fully. So the definition of revival, if you're going to know what you're longing for, you've got to identify it. Because before you can say corporately, nationally, you've got to deal with it individually. So the definition of revival is as following. An improvement in the condition or the strength of something. That's the definition of revival. Another definition is an instance of something becoming popular, active, or important again. 
a reawakening of religious fervor, especially by means of a series of evangelistic meetings, something like an oasis service. That's why we call it experience oasis, because a man with an argument is at no mercy with a man with an experience. That's why we tagline this thing, experience oasis, because you may get the letter of the law somewhere else, but you need to experience the spirit expressly in the latter times that you need to give yield to that spirit that brings life. And that's what that means. But the last one I find the most interesting, a restoration to the bottle, the, excuse me, a restoration to bodily or mental vigor, a, to life or consciousness. That's an interesting definition of revival because what's, what it's saying is God wants to restore something bodily, meaning health, mentally, meaning anxiety, fear, mental illness needs to go, vigor, and aware of consciousness. Consciousness means I am aware. I am aware of the good things and the bad things. I am aware. Now, I want you to think about something. How many of you have ever done this? And we're going to ask you to raise your hand. I need participation from the entire body this morning. How many of you have ever looked at somebody's life and the decisions that they have made or they are walking in, and you've said to yourself or somebody you love, hey, I know I'm not where I need to be, but that person's really messed up. Anybody ever done that? The rest of you are lying. We've all done that. I know I'm not where I need to be, but you should look at so-and-so. You see what she's wearing? You see how they're talking? You see who they're hooking up with? We've all done that. Hey, I know I'm not as good as this, but thank God I'm not like this. We've all done that. But you know the scriptures don't, they tell us not to do that. They tell us don't compare one another. Don't compare sin to one another or, or things of good or bad to one another. But for the sake of participation of this beautiful, honest audience, let's compare sins. Let's compare sins this morning, okay? You ready with this? Let's compare sins. I'm gonna call them out prophetically. You ready? Some of you are like, oh God, I'm leaving. You don't realize I have a prophetic voice here. I'll call out your sin. There have been many times in services I see it like a red beam, a red light, and I'm like, I want to call it out, but I don't want to shame, so we're not going to do it. But let's compare sins of the prodigal son and the sins of the elder brother. Let's do it, because I believe, in my personal opinion, the greater sinner in the story, if we're looking at it, is not the prodigal. I think the greater sinner in the story is the elder brother. He's the picture of arrogance. He's the picture of pride. He's the picture of the Pharisees who do not want anybody being added to because they feel like everything that belongs to them will be taken by someone else. That's the spirit of the elder brother. Verse 25 says the elder brother was in the field. He was in whose field? His father's field. He was in his daddy's field. Now the great rejoicing is taking place in the house. It represents the house of God. The son has returned. Remember who the son is. He's the son who was dead. He wasn't the son who was half asleep. He wasn't the son who was backslidden and away from God and he might come back. The scriptures do not say that. The scriptures say he was dead. That means he had no opportunity of life when you're dead dead unless God resurrects the thing. So the scriptures say the son is dead. So here's the son who was dead. He comes back to life and the fiesta's happening. The mariachis are singing. The barbecue is happening. I can smell it now. 
It's such a beautiful thing. They're dancing so loudly that the elder brother who's in the field can hear the music and he hears the dancing. Had he been doing his father's business with his hand to the plow, acquiring his father's affairs, doing what his father had asked him to do, by certain account, you could be sure that that son, that older brother, would have rejoiced that that brother came home. Had he been doing his father's bidding, taking care of his father's institution and his field, he would have rejoiced when that brother came home. But there's a discontented voice. The Bible calls him a son also. I like that because it gives us clarity of people who are saved, a part of the family, but they're not where they need to be spiritually. One of them is forgiven, redeemed, even though on the outward you would look at all the sin and say, no way they can be redeemed. No way they could come out of that lifestyle. No way they can be redeemed off that drug addiction, that pornography addiction. No way they can be redeemed off being dead. And here's one that comes back to life. And here's one that has everything offered by the father and his stuff. He's got it all. And he refuses to go in. He refuses to be a part of what his father's doing. And the father of the Bible says something interesting. They go out. He goes out numerous times and compels the older brother to come in. So let's do a comparison of sin because I think this story gives us a contrast between the different areas of sin. The sin of the prodigal, remember, we're going to judge today. We're going to be heathens for the next couple of moments. So the sin of the prodigal is the sin of passion. It's the sin of passion. He's so overwhelmed with his passions that he just goes out and just sins all over the place. He just sins and he does everything and he's a sinner, 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 sinner. It's the sin of passion. But the elder brother, however, is what I would call the sin of disposition. He's got a bad disposition. I call it when people in the natural have a bad resting face. You ever get around people and they don't mean to, but their resting face is really unattractive. You ever see that? Some of you may have the resting face. I'm sorry. We're going to call Dr. Shivago to come in and give you a lift. The sin of the elder brother is the sin of a bad attitude. He's got a sucky attitude. His attitude sucks so bad that he refuses to be where his father is. And we get harder sometimes on profanity because it's got an outward appeal and flavor that many of us don't like, but we refuse to look at pride. But pride goes before a fall and a haughty spirit before destruction. The Bible says God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. The humble is the, old, the younger who comes and says, Daddy, I've sinned. So grace is extended to him, but the bad attitude, the bad resting face. We're not going to take a picture of that, Valerie. No. She had a picture the other day that looked like I had a pot belly. I'm like, take that off. My God in heaven, you will be fired. Because I was sitting weird and looked like I had a pot. I'm like, I'm ab. Do you want to see it? I had a huge pot belly. I'm like, a 40. Oh, God. It's devastated. I started doing crunchies. But sometimes we're looking at adultery, the pride of life, and 
these things and we're, they're outwardly and we, we see them, we don't like them. But how about the sin of accusation and tailbearing? How about that sin? And sometimes we kind of leave that sin untouched. We talk about the world and staying away from the things of this world. But how about the worst of all sins is what I call the sin of legalism. Legalism, man-made rules that have nothing to do with God and his word, that crush God's people, that long to know him, but it puts a layer between them and God because it says you have to come through this channel and this layer, and you have to come through this hairdo or this lack of this, and you have to come through this channel of only this or only that. If you're doing something the word of God tells you not to do, you ought not be doing it. You ought not be doing it. Notice this, because if God's doing something in his word, we need to embrace it. If he doesn't tell us in his word, we should reject it. But think about that. We allow that sin of legalism to crush the church. Not our church, obviously, but crush the church. Mayor, mayor, uh, layer upon layer of these things that cause people to get inside a faith-filled, spirit-filled church and absolutely crumble because of how they were taught with the layers, the layers. Which is the worst sin? The sin of the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, the adultery, the fornication, the immorality, or the sin of legalism? Only God can judge it. Notice the bitter spirit of this elder brother. The Bible tells us in verse 29, his father comes out and says to him, hey, your brother's home. And he says, no, 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 this, your son is home. Not my brother. He's disowning him now. No, this your son is home. And lo, these many years, I've served you. The Greek word means I've slaved for you. And you've never given me a kid, meaning a little goat, for me and my friends so we can have fun. And this soon as your son, not my brother, but your son comes home, who wastes his inheritance with harlots, meaning prostitutes. Wait a second. Who said that the prodigal son wasted his inheritance with harlots and prostitution? The Bible never said that. It said we're prodigal living. Prodigal living equals riotous living, excess living. And when it says prodigal, it means recklessly extravagant. And if we're talking to Americans that love God, most of us as Americans live a prodigal lifestyle, extravagant. You say, well, I don't believe that. Can I take you to Africa? Let me just take you to where we're building that orphanage and there's no water. We're building a well so they don't have to go to the Muslims any longer. We're building it in the church because we have this opportunity to show the light of Jesus. But if I took you to Africa right now where we just came back from, you would know the difference between excess and just enough to barely survive. So if we're talking about prodigal living, excess living, most of us Americans, Christians, are guilty of it. But he says, no, no. He wasted his inheritance on harlots. What is he doing? He's accusing. It never said that. The Bible tells us that they didn't even talk. They haven't had a chance to talk yet. Who, who, who told him that? Satan told him that. Satan, who is the accuser of the brethren. The Bible says that. So when you accuse another brother and sister in Christ, you're doing the work of the devil himself. Think about that. The Bible tells us that the tongue, the book of James says, is set on fire of hell. And its bite is deadlier than a rattlesnake. It's locked up behind enamel fence. And when you begin to let it loose without having a restraining tongue, that means a tongue waved by the Holy Spirit and the word of God, you'll find yourself in destruction mode. 
think about what I'm saying today because the book of James says, and this sums it all up here in James chapter 4, verse 1. It says these words, that, that, that these things that are happening, look at what it says in James chapter 4. Where did these wars and fights come among you? And how did they come from the desires? Do they not come from the desires for pleasure, that war in your members, meaning body? You lust, but you do not have. You murder and covet, but you cannot obtain. You fight and you war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Why? Because you've asked amiss, the next verse says. You've asked amiss. You've asked and you do not receive because you've asked amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulteresses and uh, whore bags, what it's really translating. Do you not know? I'm sorry that offended you, but that's the translation in Joey Stillman's economy. Do you not know that the friendship, I'm sorry, forgive me. Do you not know that friendship with the world is an enemy with God? So what is James saying? Why do people unintentionally have the spirit of the elder brother? I can sum it up by James chapter 4. Here it is. Look at me right now. Okay, everybody look at me. We don't get what we want. Why do we unintentionally get the spirit of the elder brother? Look at me again. Because I didn't get what I wanted. See how demonic that sounds? Sounds like Gavin Newsom saying something. Ah, sorry, again, I'm sinning. I'm, I'm such a sinner. That's how it comes out in my interpretations. No, but in sincerity, we don't get what we want. So the elder brother starts accusing because he's not getting what he wanted. You've never killed the fatted calf for me. You've never done anything for me. How many friendships have been divided and destroyed by the spirit of an elder brother in the church? Think about it. How many homes have been divided? How many churches have been disrupted? How many divorces have been declared because of the poison released by some unbridled tongue of some sour Christian that comes to the house of God? The story ends with this picture. There's a joy-filled celebration happening in the house. The singing, the mariachis, the dancing. They're playing. They're ready to eat and feast. And the elder brother, the Bible says, is outside pouting. The prodigal's inside, forgiven, rejoicing with his father. And here's the whole point as Pastor Ty comes and we close. The point of the message is clear. Here it is. The elder brother refusing fellowship with his own brother lost fellowship with his father. And when we, as believers, refuse fellowship with one another, a brother or sister in the Lord, we lose fellowship with our father. Jesus said it this way, how can you say I love God who I haven't seen and hate the man, a.k.a. brother, who you have seen? The love of the father is not in you. I say that because there's something alarming to me in this parable that's unlocked to me virtually anew this very week. That the Bible says that prodigal was dead. He was dead. So in his, quote, backslidden state, he had no chance of coming alive unless he repented and came back to his father. The Bible tells us something interesting in the Apostle Paul's writing. That men and women have hearts have gotten scorned like a hot iron, meaning they become a reprobate heart. Meaning those who walk away from the Father to do their own will, their heart will begin to get hardened and hardened and hardened more and more. Not that God's not calling them back to the house. Not that his mercies are new every single morning. But because of a searing that begins to happen. There's no longer a turning back home. 
That was frightening to me this week as I thought about that. So we'd have to ask the question, if, if you backslide and, and die in your sin, is that it for you? I'm not the judge, only God does that. I can tell you an experience I had with my earthly father, and I've never shared this publicly, but an earthly father that I had who had been redeemed and set free as I gave my heart to the Lord the next Sunday, he gave his heart to the Lord. He never talked about his past. He was instantly delivered and set free from a, a miracle of God of drug addictions for many decades. And he became a 180, 100% and 80 degree change. A violent, mean, big man. I mean, Jennifer, I tell you, at one, he's big, he's a big guy. 6'3", over 300 pound big man who was mean and violent. He became the softest, gentlest giant you'd ever want to meet. And he never talked about his past. Him and I had not one conversation in two decades almost of him and I being Christians together before he went to be with the Lord of his past. In other words, he didn't live like that. You know how some people live, you know, they go to the AA meeting or they go to this and they say, I'm a recovering addict. I'm, I'm, I'm still fighting sobriety. And it's like, how many years, bruh? Are we going to say you're still an alcoholic 30 years later? Come on. See, my dad did something that I got to witness. He, he literally never talked about it. Not that he avoid. I mean, he became a new creature is what I'm trying to say. He became a new believer. And one day we're having breakfast because I used to go have breakfast with him as much as I could when I wasn't traveling. And he's over the, across the table with me. And he starts to cry. And he says to me, you know, son, I overdosed on three different occasions. I said, you did? And I'm trying, you know, I'm trying not to be tripping out because he's never talked about this before. You know, an addict always hides their addiction even though they're full-blown chaotic and maniac that's in. They still hide it. I mean, they'll be shooting up in front of you. They'll say, like, I didn't do that. So he says, I overdosed three times. He said, the last time I overdosed, he says, I was falling in a pit. He says, I was falling in a pit. Bubba, he's calling me Bubba. He said, Bubba, I was falling in a pit. He said, the, the Lord grabbed me by the hand and he took me and he snatched me out of the pit. And he said, Bubba, he said to me, I'm not going to do this again. He says, I'm not going to do this again. And he said to me that morning to breakfast, that's when you invited me to church. And see, I thought it was something that I said yes to. I didn't realize God was preparing this way before my yes. But had I not said yes, was there a time when my daddy's heart would have gotten hard and the Lord told him that? In other words, I'm reading this story about this prodigal, and I'm going, my God, there can be people that are away from God, backslidden, and they can die in their sin. And because they've let their heart get seared like a hot iron, they may not listen. Then it brought me to the elder brother, because the elder brother knows nothing of that life about being dead. Only thing he knows is everything daddy gives. The miracles are his 
the provision. He never wants for anything. He doesn't desire anything. And yet, his heart, Pastor Tyon, unintentionally started to get seared. Starts to get seared. The prodigal left home, rebelling against his father. He looked at his father and he said, give me the portions that belong to me. As I told you, he goes out in the far country and he wasted his daddy's possessions. He ends up feeding the pigs, fighting over them for something to eat, living amongst them. And Jesus said when he came to himself, when he came to himself, obviously he was not himself or he couldn't have come to himself, meaning he was beside himself. And if you're beside yourself, you are loco in the cabeza. So he comes to himself and he sins no longer. Father, I've sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your slaves. And we know the story I preached last week. Robe, ring, shoes. Think about that. The prodigal leaves home saying, give me. But he comes back saying, make me. Think about that for a moment. If you think sin won't crush your dreams and break your heart, you are insane. If you think it won't shatter your life, it will destroy you. But like my dad, it destroyed everybody around him. It destroyed me. It destroyed my brothers. It destroyed my mother. She died prematurely. It had a cause and an effect. So God has to reach down sovereignly and with his grace, reach him and snatch him. And then it came to me. The prodigal leaves home saying, give me. But he comes back saying, make me. And the difference, there are many, but really the essence of the message of this parable the prodigal comes back broken. The older brother refuses to break. The prodigal, because of his choice, knew, like my dad, I can't do this again. I can't do it again. So I'm going to just link on to Bubba. And I became the dad. And many of that, almost two decades later, not only spiritually, but just finding all of it, financially, just everything. A task I wasn't wanting to take, but I took it. Because I, like many of you, wanted a dad. Because I didn't have one. But I took the mantle because I knew God was doing something. And the difference between the younger and the older, the younger had come and been crushed. He had been broken. And there's a difference between the two, a vast difference, because God only, listen closely, he only uses things that are broken. It's the broken grape that produces the new wine. It's the crushed olive that produces the fresh anointing oil. It's the crushed atom that makes the atomic bomb. It's the crushed leaf of the rose petal that makes the sweet smelling perfume. As soon as, as soon as he confessed his sin, the Bible says something amazing. They began to be merry. A joy explosion took off, not only in the family's life, meaning everybody in the family, except the one who wouldn't come in, but the son himself received the joy of the Lord. And the problem with this elder brother was clear. As I read this story yet again, he would not let God, his father, renew him. 
be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. He wouldn't let himself be renewed. And the scriptures tell us he would not repent. And as a result of that older brother not letting himself be renewed, even though he's a part of the family, and not repenting, he could not have reunion. And I say to you today, don't you dare think for one moment that you can walk out in this world and get away by the grace of God doing what you want to do because you do not know when God calls his children home. And I say to you today, what will eliminate the stress, what will eliminate the uncertainty, no matter if you consider yourself a prodigal or consider yourself unintentionally an older brother. The remedy for both and the, the equalization of joy coming is found in repentance. You see, we sing these songs today and they're so uplifting and they're so wonderful about being an overcomer and an head and not the tail. They're so, so fantastic for people who are browbeaten all week. But what you may not understand, we are flawed people, full of iniquities, full of shortcomings. I want you to look at me, full of uncertainty. A man may die at 30, but live until he's 80. But he dies at 30 because we have all these issues. And so God's remedy for the issues, man or woman, is pure repentance. No matter if you walk with God a week or 12, 20, 30, 50 years, repentance is always the equalizer of what God wants to do in the life of his sons and daughters. So can we stand together? I'll stay kneeling, you stand. And as we close our time today, I really thought long and hard and prayerfully about this conclusion of this service. And as I wanted to pray for you to have joy, because when you have joy, it equals Jesus. No joy, no Jesus. Find joy, find Jesus. Really that simple. But you can't have joy if you don't repent to Jesus. So if you have a spirit that's on you today, no matter what your background, I'll start the call today. All of us, no matter what background or life or upbringing, you need to repent. And I don't mean repent of well, this sin, I'm, I'm, that might be your issue, I don't know. I'm talking about a continual yielding of God. How would it have been 23 years ago as Jennifer dressed so beautifully preparing for that afternoon there in Sacramento for her and I to be engaged for a time and then for the wedding day to come? And what a tragedy if that day had come 23 years ago and that day I said to Jennifer, I love you and we kiss and then only that day I said, I love you. And 23 years later, Jennifer never hears me say those words, I love you again. 
I think heaven's language is repentance. Thank you for listening to the Oasis Church Podcast. You can find our podcasts wherever podcasts are available. For more information, go to experienceoasis.org. Thanks again for listening.